and you found Hack and Grow Rich. This is the podcast. If you want to have some interesting and in-depth conversations about how to live happy and rich and make a big difference on the planet, my co-host is normally Shaheen Shyam, but I believe Lenny Kravitz is sitting in for him. He uh, has got these amazing, cool glasses. He's got the amazing vibe. Sheena, I've never noticed you to be in the costumery business. Explain this outfit that you have on for our regular listeners. Dude, I, well, so it can go from this to African dictator, or this, maybe this is African dictator. I always thought it would be fun after I saw that movie with uh, Ghost Dog. Who's, who's the guy in Ghost Dog? God, what's his name? He's such a good actor. Forrest Whitaker. Ever since I've seen Ghost Dog, I wanted to become an African dictator. And by the way, we are now live on Facebook for all our viewers and listeners. Thank you for joining us on Facebook Live. We'll be asking and answering questions here on the Facebook platform. So if you have questions, make sure to answer it there. And as of this episode, we are getting dangerously near Halloween. And as every Halloween, me and my family and my seven-year-old boy plan a family costume. So this week, this is what we're doing. Family costumes. What are you doing well, for Halloween? I'm with you. I, I, I was with my family today with the nieces and nephews, and it's my favorite holiday for sure. Like this whole pandemic of not having Halloween parties and not having kids adore really made me sad. So I'm thrilled to be able to, uh, maybe, maybe next week we'll costume it as well. Um, I'll tell you what, this episode is going to be really interesting. A lot of people don't know our next guest. And I say that because when I talk to this guy, he's either on the phone with the president of some country, the president of some radio network, the celebrity that, and you're like, how do you know all these people? And what I realize is he's just almost one of the guys that's kind of behind the scenes in, in network and television and radio. But I have, I, I put him in the same level of you, Shaheen, as I believe both of you have this Midas touch with things financial related, which means that it seems like you guys just fall into good luck. And I know, and I've laughed probably to both of you, but he's like, well, you just never hear about the dogs, but there's some dogs, but generally you hear about the stuff that works really well. And I really wanted you to meet him. And I want our fans to introduce this guy because I believe as far as a perspective of, of optimism and happiness and joy, um, he's one of those guys that just thinks not just out of the box. He like throws the box away and he creates a whole new world. And wow. so I think you really like uh, the guest that's coming up here. Wow. Um, I and, love, I love that. And um, on that note, I did want to mention that today's episode is brought to us by sleep doctor glasses our good friend, Dr. Michael Bruce, we were talking about things that work very well. Have you ever heard of blue light blocking glasses, Bart? The blue, the blue blocker, those ones on TVs in the 70s, those things? Right. Similar technology, only Dr. Bruce, America's Sleep Doctor, we've had him on the show talking about hacking caffeine, and we're going to have him on again in our epic CBD series, which I'm super psyched about. We've got companies from all over the world sending in, sending in CBD samples for us to review. And we're going to get some of the top experts in the CBD field. We're going to get Dr. Bruce back on, and we're going to talk Turkey about CBD and why A, it is such an opportunity and B, how you can biohack yourself using CBD and see what are the right types of CBD and the right ways to use them. But with that 
said, one of my favorite biohacks is using Dr. Bruce's Sleep Doctor glasses. These are the Luminaire brand of Sleep Doctor glasses by Dr. Bruce. You can get them on sleepdoctorglasses.com. They come in a variety of styles. Um, these are kind of, I think the Wayfair kind of styles, but there's also like a Steve McQueen style. There's a number of different styles. And what they do is they block out all the harmful Blu-rays that are out there. I don't know all about the technology, but all I do know is I put these on about four hours before I go to sleep or anytime where I have increased exposure to blue light. And what these do is they calm you down. You know, have you ever been in a room uh, where the lights are dim and you immediately just feel chill? You feel that ambiance? I have. And so these change my mood from the light that comes through my, my eyeballs. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things we'll be talking about on future shows is some technology that I'm developing now along with a bunch of other doctors. Uh, not that I'm a doctor, but I'm developing the technology along with doctors. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, again, I am uh, no further up than a chimpanzee as far as my medical knowledge. So please take, take that into consideration. But I, I do have people who work with me who do have medical knowledge. And I really believe that light is the new drug and how we control light is going to be the thing that's going to impact us from now to 20 years into the future. I think people aren't going to be taking as many supplements and instead they're going to be experimenting with light lasers being a form of light and those types of things can change our moods, but a very simple way for anybody that's interested. If you're watching the show, guys, uh, check out sleepdoctorglasses.com. These are the only glasses uh, approved and designed by Dr. Michael Bruce, the sleep doctor who was on our past shows, any of our Facebook friends, if you're looking at them and they really do work, they come with a money back guarantee. Um, I, I can't stress how important sleep is uh, in the day, because if you're not sleeping, you're not performing at your best. So most people focus on, hey, I'm going to take caffeine. Caffeine is borrowed energy. It's fake energy. But sleep is one of the most important things you can do. So I just wanted to bring that up. And, and with that, I'm super psyched to learn about our new guest, Bart. Let's bring him on. He may be one of your new best friends. I got to tell you that this guy, you know, is really funny. Um, he founded a network called Crave TV News. It's one of the very unique networks is now in the middle of launching. I'll let you let him tell you more about that. We met almost 20 years ago at the radio and records conference with, you know, uh, the top a thousand morning show host. Um, and then he went on to found as well as an all comedy network, one of the first ones, but then the National Lampoon Radio Network which we used to have an office right on Sunset Boulevard. And, and man, any day you come in there, whether it was Gary Coleman coming in and out and all these amazing people, like it was so great. And I think you were noticing that like, I can't believe that our next guest talked to George Carlin. I'm like, no, they didn't talk to him. They were buddies. Like, you know, he really has wow. a who's who in the, uh, in the comedy scene. And it's funny because we've done some comedy together on stage, but he'll tell you, I'm not really a comedian. I'm just the guy behind the scenes, the comedians. But uh, he's pretty damn funny. I think you could probably find that he could do stand-up. So, yeah, unmute him, and let's see if we can get our new buddy in. His name is Kent Emmons. He's the CEO of Crave News and probably the funniest guy you've never met yet, Shaheen. So you're going you're gonna to have a blast. We talk about some of the hacks that made this guy one of the most successful media personalities in America. Kent Emmons, good to see you, brother. Brother Bart, good to see you. And uh, Shaheen, great to meet you. 
Welcome on board. Can't wait to you know, hear more about you. You vaguely resemble a uh, an African dictator. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> seems like seems like we might have met in Gambia one time or another. Possible, possible. That would be fun. Did I have lots of gold that I could not yes, get out did. of the country? But if you just yes, sent me but five thousand out of my teeth, and I'm coming to get you for that. <laughs> Love it. It's a bad Love poker it. game for me. <laughs> Good. I think Love you're it. joining us from Nashville today. Now, Kent, you just moved your studio from Los Angeles to Nashville, part of the politics and the crazy world that we're living in for the Crave Network. How is your new studio coming? And tell us what's happening with the Crave News Network. It's good. It's under construction. And, uh, you know, as, as you know, Bart, we've got a beautiful facility there in California. And when COVID happened, California closed things down so tight that uh, many, many, many productions have moved here to Tennessee, down to Texas, Georgia, Florida, uh, and we're one of those, and, uh, which is a shame because you know, we built some, you know, we built three amazing big networks in California, love it, but I'm afraid that's a place that's probably going to be uh, um, out of business for quite some time. Wow. Sorry Sadly. to hear that, Shaheen. I know that's your home. Are you okay? <laughs> we're coming back man we're coming back i was on venice beach over the weekend and man they had cleaned it up in the best way possible i mean the cops were there i think it was the sheriff because i think it's that sheriff that we have now that's really making an impact there and they well, were the, doing the sheriff it there in la county i was with him a couple of weeks ago uh alex uh, villanueva a great guy a yeah. really really first class guy and he's defying the governor and he's defying the county uh, commissioners and he's yeah. going out and cleaning it up and uh he's also uh i mean he, he's been amazing he's he's been the best sheriff we've had in in 15 years and a great guy yeah he's done it in a very kind way because when i was there they had one group of cops comes out and they're kind of the heads like you need to move along. And then another set comes out and it's like, well, here's food. And then another completely other set of cops came out and they were like, here's tickets for um, tickets for somewhere to stay. And of course, the majority of them took it, but some of them threw it back, at them, which, which was amazing. But, you know, it just goes to show, I think, you know, not all the homeless in Los Angeles are hungry. And it's a, it's a complicated problem. We're not going to get into it. More importantly, talking about people who are crazy or seemingly crazy, about 11 years ago, you, my friend, posted uh, what is a video that now has over 11 million, million views. And I did. this was 11 years ago. Yes, you did. Not the rated X video. That, that's a different yes, you one. Yes, no, I remember that when I couldn't, I couldn't sit down for a week after that taping. <laughs> now, the prisoners are us video. Was that the one? Kent? Yeah, that one. That was it. <laughs> let's, let's take it. Let's take a quick look at this. I wanted to share this with everybody. Ken Emmons, Harry National Lampoon, Comedy And here's the guy you had on. The KXOL weather tower. I love him. And uh, he played the ET. Absolutely that, love him. And you come on, you say the. And wow, I, I haven't seen that, that video or this. Came, eventually became an Al Sleep. I would do a wow. little of that kind of far out um, guy. Can you do a little bit of that for us here? Hey, baby, what's happening? <laughs> K Pasa. K, what you call it, your Pasa. Uh, the weather tonight is being dominated by a, a Canadian low 
Which is not to be confused with a Mexican high. <laughs> the great torture. Oh, God. I loved him, and he was such a good friend and such a great guy. I, I, I've got to go back and watch that video. That's got 11 million views. It's got 11 million views. Now, you got to be kidding me. Is that George true? George Carlin passed away not long after that. That was his last interview. Yeah. Were you and, aware uh, at that time that he was no. having severe heart issues? Well, he has had all his life. And, uh, you know, and uh, um, he was having complications there. But, uh, um, you know, he was getting a little bit older. And uh, he was, you know, not that old, frankly. But, um, you know, he it just got continually worse. And we had no idea that he was close to the end. But uh, uh, you can tell by those two jokes at the end of that interview. I think that interview is probably split up in two different videos. And the reason they did that is because... You know, at the end of my comedy countdown or the Comedy Island show, we would always ask the comedians, what is your favorite joke? And Carlin said, I've got two. So uh, we split it up into two, both uh, both jokes that right now would get you canceled, probably. However, <laughs> uh, it's Carlin. So so we got to pass. And uh, but he was a, what a, you talk about an amazing guy that just had balls bigger than church bells. He would go anywhere. And it was always, you know it was always tackling anything that was big socially at that time. And he was, he was the greatest. What was he like as a friend, as a person? Cause I think you guys hanged out a little bit. You knew him more than professionally. We did. And I'll tell you when I first got to know him, um, you know, when I started the networks, you know, he was just great. And he would pop by all the time and say hi, and he would just stop in unannounced. And when we first uh, decided to start the radio networks, you know, we were going out there licensing all of this material some of it we had licensed directly from some of the big record labels because they had the ability to license it. Others uh, in their licenses didn't have broadcast rights. Uh, Carlin was one of those, but he heard what we were doing and uh, his manager was a good friend. And he literally just stopped by the studio one day. His manager told him where we were at. He stopped by the studio one day with a box of stuff and he goes, oh my God. And he and I had met before, but hadn't become buddies at that point. He said, I love this, what you're doing. I love what you're doing. Here's a license. He literally had his manager license. I'd uh, sent over to his manager. He goes, here it is signed. And he goes, here's a box of everything I've ever done. It's got all my HBO specials in it, this and that. He goes, just digitize it, use it all you want. And uh, he goes, I love radio. And, you know, and he would always talk about radio on the radio with us. And uh, he was just one of those great guys. And so we were uh, a group of us were doing uh, our shows out of Vegas, out of the Las Vegas Comedy Festival. Bart, you may have been over there for this. I don't know. And uh, uh, George said, well, call when you uh, call if you're in Vegas this week. He said, I'm playing at the MGM. And I said, yeah, I'll do it. You know, so I gave him a call on cell. And uh, he said, uh, he said, what nights you available? And I said, well, probably tomorrow night. He said, great. He said, where are you staying? And I told him and uh, he said, uh, I uh, got a show. I think it was like eight or 10 o'clock. What show you want to come to? I said, oh, eight o'clock. It'd be great. Who, who you got to bring? I had four people and he said, great. Uh, he said, I'll swing by your hotel and pick you up about seven 30. And I'm like, what George? He, I was like, dude, no, he goes, no, I'm going to swing by and get you. He goes, I'll come. I'll co and he literally in his own car that he had driven over from LA for the two week run, drove over four of us pile in his little BMW plus him and drove back to the MGM. And after the between shows, he drove us back over. And he just wanted to do that because he wanted to visit on the way over and on the way back. So that's the kind of guy he was. He had no, he was not a Hollywood guy. He had no pretenses. He was just a really, 
really, really good guy. Yeah, Bart and I talk about this often. We talked about it on the last show about one of the greatest hacks to selling, one of the greatest hacks to influencing people and achieving anything you want. And that's authenticity. Just be a real fucking person. It's something that's so missing. And when I watch Carlin's comedy, the thing that, uh, I'll turn that off. The thing that strikes me the most about him is just the fact that he's an authentic motherfucker. He is just a guy where he doesn't give a shit. And the bits that he did back in the day, I mean, Joe Rogan talks about him all the time. He he is one of probably one of the, if not the most influential comedian in the last, you know, 20, 30 years, right? You had Bill Hicks, you had George Carlin, uh, you know, Richard Pryor, maybe. Pryor Uh, was also fantastic and highly authentic. Hicks was the same way, although I only got to meet him once. And, you know, he passed away pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of those guys, a lot of those guys did because it was hard, fast living, right? Kid, oh, I man. Those guys, uh, is, those guys were, yeah, these, they were, they partied hard. Can't, uh, can't, you're not a partier, but, but his humor is always cutting edge because Kent and I don't really give a rat's ass if you like us, but you better laugh at our jokes. I think that's generally how it is when you're at the, uh, old folks whiskey bar in Atlanta, Georgia, ordering tapioca <laughs> shots for everybody, whether they want them or not. And Bart, you, it, you better give a little context to this story. We, Bart <laughs> and I are in, in Atlanta at a, uh, at a talk radio conference. And uh, we go to this place called Johnny's Hideaway. And we've got a couple of younger gals there with us. They're pretty fun. They're also in the radio business. And uh, we're there, and Johnny's Hideaway is known for being a, a hangout for really rich old ladies and old men. And they go, and it's all big band music and standards, but it's a really fun place to go. And I don't know why we took those two girls there with us, but we did, and they were a lot of fun, and we were having fun, and all the old folks were having fun with us and stuff. And uh, one of us got the, the idea that, you know, there's a bunch of 80 year old people in here. Let's buy jello, sh- let's buy uh, uh, tapioca shooters for everyone. First time I've ever had a 92-year-old woman tell me to fuck off. <laughs> but Bart took her home, so it wasn't a total loss. Ooh. That's not entirely true, but, but I cannot confirm or deny that her teeth came out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That was a fun night, though. That was a fun bunch of people, too, down there. No, but I bring it up because because I, I what my point was is that Kent's one of the few people I know that everybody generally likes Kent. Like I don't know anyone that doesn't like you. I have a list of enemies a mile long, Kent. But yet you also will say the most offensive joke in any crowd because you just have these big cojones. Do you find that gets you in trouble, or is there ever a point when you go, you know, that the cult culture's changed a little bit? I might get myself canceled if I tell the same joke today. Is it a tenure? Like, how do you navigate that? Both being, you know, being a CEO and first and a of all, I run the network. How are you going to cancel me? You know, and uh, so uh, it's not like Roger Ailes, where he has a bunch of shareholders and all that kind of stuff, where he gets canceled for doing whatever he supposedly did. Which, by the way, I don't believe any of that stuff. But um, I don't really care. I'm an entrepreneur. I've made mine. And uh, I tend to just spew out what I think everybody else is thinking too. And I think, Bart, that's why guys like you and I don't get in trouble when we go there. Because the other people are thinking the same thing. They just don't, they don't, didn't come out of their mouth. With us, you know, no filter. So let's dig into that a little bit, Kent. I, um, 
Bart has told me a lot about what you do, but why don't you tell our viewers and listeners a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey and how you got to where you are and what you're doing now? Sure. My journey started in Southern Illinois, um, uh, son of a, a local banker, and uh, uh, they still live back in my hometown. I get over there all the time. Matter of fact, I had one of my cousins down here in Nashville visiting us this, this weekend. And um, little town in southeastern Illinois, and, uh, you know, I had a lemonade stand when I was five. My mom taught me how to, you know, how to buy, here's, here's what it costs for the lemonade, here's, or for the lemons, here's what it costs for the sugar, here's what it costs to do this. And we let you, you know, put it on one side. Now here's what you sell it for. Here's how many cups we get out of one thing. And here's your profit. And I'm like, hmm, that's pretty easy. So, uh, you know, from five or six years old, kind of doing that. And then I've always kind of had that independent streak. And uh, I've always probably had a few more dollars squirreled away in my shoebox than most because I had the lemonade stand. Then I was mowing yards, got to where I had a, a, a list of about 25 yards that I mowed every single year all the way through high school. And, uh, um, so I've always, uh, you know, I've always kind of liked setting my own schedule and, and, uh, you know, you talk about a great uh, margin back in the lawn mowing business, you had a push mower that you paid 130 bucks for, and it lasted three years. And, uh, you know, you burn through a, a gallon of gas, you know, maybe twice a week or three times a week, and you're getting, you know, between 15 and $30 a yard. That's some pretty good margin. And, uh, so I love doing that. And so, you know, coming out of that, I was always looking for entrepreneurial opportunities, like putting the caddies together at the, at the golf course, doing that kind of thing and taking a little cut. Or um, uh, we were doing uh, what kind of got me into the business that I ended up in for life was the entertainment business. And uh, we would do dances at the local swimming pool hall. It's got a really pretty old building that was built in the 40s, one of those WPA projects that over and it has a balcony that overlooks the swimming pool there in our little farm town. And uh, we could get a couple hundred people in there. So I'd hire a band for 50 bucks, charge two bucks, pray to God that at least, you know, 25 people showed up. And uh, they always did. And uh, we always, you know, usually would make, you know, three, four, 500 bucks, you know, a dance on that. And started doing that and promoting dances and promoting little ticketed events and stuff. And that got me into artist management and wound up managing several bands and got in the music publishing business with that. And when I was doing that, we had a pretty nice uh, score and started buying radio stations back in the early 90s and doing niche formats, formats that nobody else was doing and formats that I wouldn't have any competition in. And that's, that's really kind of how we, how we grew into what we did. The first format was a format that we called the vacation radio format, and it was in Branson, Missouri. And have you guys ever been to like Disney down in Orlando? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So if you go to, if you go there and you're driving into the parking lot, now this is going back in the nineties when I think Disney only had three parks there. They had Epcot, Disney, and what, something else, I think, but you drive into the parking lots and they have, they had what was called Disney radio. Now this was not the kids radio network that was all over the country. This was just a little local radio or a little, you know, on park radio station. And there were signs all the way through the parking lot. Disney Park Radio tuned to, I don't know, it was like 16-something AM, some expanded band AM station. And you tune it in, and it's about a 20-minute loop of information. And it had, hey, today at Disney, we've got this going on and that going on. And don't, don't forget to swing by the magic shop and that type of thing. So uh, um, I thought, wow, that's a really interesting format. I bet a lot of people listened to it. It was kind of boring. By the way, there's an Amazon guy on my screen. Is that right? <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, go on. We just lost uh, video for two seconds, but continue. Got it. I, I thought maybe I had a package at the door. So <laughs> did somebody order a pizza? Anyway, um, so I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. And I was doing a lot of business in these markets like Branson, Missouri, which is, uh, you know, it's a huge tourist market. But instead of being like Disney, where it's all under one umbrella, it's almost like a Disney it, collectively, if you collect, you know, all the mom and pop go-kart, you know, things and rides and putt-putts and hotels and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, you know, that would be kind of an interesting radio format to do there and then sell the advertising to all those people that are coming in. So it happened, I was back home in my hometown for Christmas and I, I mentioned to one of the guys uh, that I knew worked for Disney, I said, you know that park radio? He said, yeah, that's under my department. And I said, really? I said, do people listen to it? He goes, the, the managers in those stores and the restaurants fight to get on there because they're all heavily bonused. And he said, everyone listens to that coming in because they're curious about their vacation and they're stuck in the parking lot sitting there waiting to park. He said, uh. he said, we could take that traffic. He said, he said, we, he, and the example he used was the magic shop. He said, we could take the magic shop. We can put the ad on the first day, start running it first thing in the morning before cars start piling in first day and their sales will double that day. And then they will double the next day. And then they'll flatten out. He goes, and then we can take that ad off and they'll go back down half and back down to where it started. He said, you can set it like clockwork. He said that radio is so effective because people are in their cars stuck and they had no idea uh, of anything else to do. And they sure as heck wanted to you know, be informed on everything going on in the park and get value for their investment in their tickets. And uh, so I thought that'd be kind of interesting. So I, I bought a radio station in Springfield, Missouri which uh, almost 90% of 85 or 90% of the traffic that comes into Branson comes through Springfield, Missouri, which is north of Branson about at the time, well, it's 35 miles, but at the time it was a two lane road part of it. So it was just packed and jammed with just traffic like crazy for years. Driving to Orlando. Orlando. No, no, this no, is Branson, in Missouri. Missouri. This okay. is in Branson, Missouri. Oh, gotcha. Big, okay. Big tourist market. Yeah. So, um, so we did that and I got 30 billboards out in those markets and, um, yeah, very easy to read. I wish I had, if I was at the studio in LA, I've, I've got some of those pictures of those billboards still, but uh, huge yellow billboards. It just said Branson radio, 1550 AM comedy info, free stuff. And then that bright yellow construction, yellow with red and black letters on it. You can't miss it. You can see it a mile away. The non-sexiest billboards you'll ever see, but you couldn't miss them. Ugly cells. And yeah, ugly cells. Well, you know, noticeable cells. And, uh, so you've got, so we did this and I divided up the, the clock. If you took a one hour clock, so, you know, in radio, you work off of a clock, looks like a pie cut into about, you know, depending on how you do it, we were doing 60 second spots. So cut into about, you know, 60 spots, but we, we sold 45 spots. So you either got a one minute spot for $1,500 an hour, every hour. I mean, $1,500 a month. You got a one minute spot or you got two 30 second spots. Either way, you can chop it up, keep it one, whatever. And then on top of that, we would interview like, you know, Branson, Missouri had a lot of big celebrities, like older celebrities that, that, you know, catered to an older drive-in type of market. So you had Andy Williams, Boxcar Willie, Jim Stafford, a guy that nobody knows unless you've been to Branson, Soji Tabuchi, who was the biggest show in town, was a Japanese fiddle player, Mel Tillis, Roy Clark, a bunch of those old acts, Mickey Gilly. And, um, so we sold those spots to, you know, folks like that, 
the go-kart tracks to all the attractions, the marinas, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and, it, and it took off and it did well and people listened. And one of the things we found that, that people really liked in it is they commented on our comedian, who was somebody that we had produced when I was still in the, in the uh, music business for years. And uh, so uh, a guy that's still unknown, his name is Milton Crabapple, very, very close friend of mine. His real name is Hal Coleman. He's the number one pest control marketing guy in the country. But, uh, but he has these funny things called Milton Crabapple. So we were running those because they were totally clean and family. And people started calling the station going, where is that guy playing? Does he have a theater? And uh, they were going bananas over the comedy. So Hold on, hold on. Uh, hold on. How, how much yeah. does it cost to buy a radio station? That sounds like well, something that would cost a lot of money. Well, that one, uh, I've paid a, you want to take a get, Bart, you probably know the answer, but uh, Shaheen, you want to guess? But I don't know the, I don't know the, uh, the upfront. I'd say a million bucks. That one was $130,000. Total. It's a, it, yep. His car is less than that. Shaheen has at least three cars. Across the <laughs> and where did you at that time get $130,000? Well, it's funny you ask. Uh, we, uh, I borrowed it from a bank in uh, Arkansas, one of the greatest bank presidents in the world who, who ended up becoming a bank co-founder with me many years later. Um, and coincidentally, it's the same bank that made the original Whitewater loans to Clinton and all those folks. So it was a bank at the time owned by Chris Wade and the feds had come in, taken it over, brought this new CEO to clean it up a little tiny, little tiny bank in Flippin, Arkansas. Yeah, it was started by Chris Wade and Forrest Woods. Forrest owned uh, and was the founder of uh, um, uh, what's the big boat company? Not Tracker, but the other bass boat company. Um, I'm know. drawing a blank now. Anyway, Forrest Woods. So you're so, uh, you go in this bank and, and you say, "I want to not play music. I want to run 100% ads and turn the radio business on their head." Didn't they look at you like you had three eyeballs? Not really, because you know I could. I could clearly, pay, if it didn't work, I could clearly pay it off. Um, but, uh, um, you know, they got the concept, they figured it. And, you know, my payment on it was like, I don't know, 600 a month or something like that. And, uh, or maybe a thousand a month or maybe a thousand out of whatever it was, it was not a lot. And, uh, and I kind of saw it as a, you know, as a, one of those deals that if it didn't work, I would maybe lose. Cause it, for the startup cost, you had the 130, but then you also had to produce all the billboards and do the deposits on the billboards and then do a lot of production. So this whole, you know, total startup was probably 225,000 bucks. So I figured at worst I could sell the station for 130, you know, if it didn't work out and then we lose a few bucks. But wow. uh what but year it really was this? Took off. Uh this was in 92, I guess, 92, 93. Okay. And just to be clear, you yeah. said you 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 charged Meltillus for the time. You didn't interview him for free. There's no, no we, content yeah. on that radio station. Everything is paid. No, no, everything is paid, 100% paid, except for the comedy. So the comedy, you know, we use that as kind of a, so what we did, uh, you know, we, we did very, very well, obviously, with that concept. Uh, then we did another one in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, which is Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, you know, where's, you know my, where I consider home in East Tennessee, and um, did very well, and also did Myrtle Beach, did the same thing. And then we started partnering with some timeshare companies. And have you guys ever been on vacation and people, uh, you know, you'll be walking into a store at a mall or something like that on a in a vacation destination. And they'll say, hey, I got some free tickets here. All you got to do is come and listen to our 90 minute presentation. And have you ever been you guys have been hit with that. Right. 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 Oh, yeah. We've, um, we've yeah, suffered yeah. through that. 
yeah. So, uh, so it's interesting that there was a, a little tiny timeshare operator there in Branson uh, who eventually became and still is one of my best friends for 30 years. Great guy. And uh, he said, you know what? He said, you're getting all those people listening to you. He goes, um, why don't we put a welcome center in up on the highway between Springfield and Branson, right off an, an exit. And uh, we'll run them in there and we'll figure out, you know, ways to get them in. We'll, of course, talk about it on the radio a bunch. And, and by the way, the radio sounded live. We used, I used what was called, a, it was a computerized system um, called Selector. And it sounded live. I hosted it all, the whole thing, but I only had to do it once a year. But it always sounded live because, you know, the people were coming in and they were only on there for an hour and a half, two hours. And everything fired off at different times. So it was always different interviews and, hey, coming up now. And then it was up-to-date weather that was automated. Remember uh, BART AccuWeather? You know, uh, it would automatically trigger into your, into your feed. So the LA uh, story it, where it was always sunny 24 hours a day with Steve Martin. Sunny, sunny. Said, no, no, AccuWeather actually, uh, yeah, AccuWeather, Alan Archer with AccuWeather. They would, uh, they would actually read the weather reports. Some guy sat in Atlanta, I think, and read weather reports for the top 200 markets. That's all he did all day. And I'm sure they had a bunch of guys doing it. But, uh, hey, today, uh, uh, Springfield, uh, Springfield, Branson weather, it's going to be da, da, da. And it was literally so up just to, to recap, you, you spent one, one day a year recording content and then go and one guy pushed buttons and you didn't go back there the rest of the year. Well, technically we would do, I would do three days a year at each station. And what we would do is I'd come in and we would interview all the, uh, any advertiser that wanted to be interviewed. So we always had like, you know, and, but we would do it three times a year. We would change the programming out. Uh, we would have spring, which was, you know, uh, more families. And then after spring break, more old folks and then summer, which was all families and then fall and Christmas, which was primarily old folks. So we would do interviews for, I would come in before the spring and we would interview, you know, again, you know, talking about the Branson market, Mickey Gilly, Andy Williams, Wayne Newton back then was in Branson, you know, interview all those guys <clears throat> and, you know, Hey, you got a new show this spring. It's going to be a lot of fun. We got this, we got that. So uh, we would change it out three times a year. Um, wow. But yeah. Very, very simple. Very, so, very simple. And so also a lot of fun. Yeah. So 130 K you invest $130,000 in the business and then you added some money well, plus, to, to buy the another, billboards. Yeah. Came out to a total of 225 K. How much profit did you make? How much was that deal worth to over, over a lifetime? Over 35 oh, years. Oh God. It's a lot. It was good. Million. It was good. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you where it really took off is when I partnered with my guy in Branson, the timeshare guy who is a, just still a wonderful guy, a risk taker, an entrepreneur extraordinaire. Uh, CJ, CJ's his name, CJ Permy, great guy. And um, it really took off when I partnered with him because then we've added the welcome center thing into it. And there was a great synergy with um, the people that he bought those tickets from that they were given away. And then us in the radio station and then bringing people into the welcome center to sign them up for timeshare tours. So it became this real synergistic uh, relationship and also became a, you know, lifelong friendship. And what happened after that? Tell us about after that, what happened? Well, I ended up selling uh, uh, an interest, a uh, big interest in those stations to him and then to his company. And then he ended up selling in 2015. So everyone cashed out in 2015 of that, of that group. 
And, wow. um, but what's interesting about that, and, you know, Bart's probably heard me tell this a million times, but what was interesting about that is that it introduced me to how popular comedy on the radio was and nobody yeah. was doing 24 seven comedy. And I thought, why is, why is no one doing 24 seven comedy? That's insane. Right. Because we're getting calls from a guy who had never, still not nationally known. We're getting calls, people going, I love this guy. Matter of fact, they got to be so good that we made up CDs. This is back when CDs were a thing. We made up CDs that cost us like 25 cents. And we said, hey, stop by the Branson Ticket Outlet and Welcome Center. Get you know free soft drinks, free popcorn, and a free Milton Crab Apple CD. And it was like cars backed up. And of course, while they're there, we're selling them tickets, hotel rooms. And they're getting really good deals on, you know, we're delivering great value for our customers, tickets, hotel rooms, you know, you know, obviously approach them about a timeshare tour, which we booked a lot out of those places. And um, yeah, it turned out to be a really, uh, a really interesting thing. But that, but the comedy, that's, that's, that's when the stuff really took off. When sure. I, I felt like there should be a 24 seven comedy radio network. And so yes. A friend of mine who coincidentally I'd met through a deal in Branson, uh, Bart, you've met Howard Levine, right? Of course. He, he was, he was yeah. all through there with the National Lampoon yeah. Radio and the other previous uh, – Yeah, and uh, Howard, I was just with him, and uh, we just had dinner up in Bel Air uh, last week, actually. And I'll see him when I'm back out there this week in, in California. Uh, been one of my best friends for years and years and years. But I'd met him through a deal with Dick Clark. Remember Dick Clark, the old uh, bandstand guy and used to sure. do the New Year's Eve? And, so I, uh, Howard was representing Dick Clark, and I met him through that. And uh, we had remained friends and remained in touch. And I would be out in L.A. doing business. And Howard, you know, ran a big law firm out there, but very entrepreneurial. And uh, so I called Howard and I said, uh, and I'm this country rube. I mean, I'd been to New York a lot and I'd been to L.A. a lot because of my association with with some of these musical acts and and partners in the music publishing business. But uh, I was still, you know, pretty much a country rube. And Howard, Howard, Howard always reminded me of Arnie Becker on L.A. Law. You remember that guy? Very like not a hair out of place. Everything is just right. L.A. Bachelor got the Porsche, got the whole thing. And uh, so I called uh, called Howard and I said, uh, um, I'm thinking about this idea, a 24-7 comedy radio network. No one's ever done it before. I don't understand why, um, because it's a market waiting to happen. And I gave him just kind of my informal data with those vacation stations. And, uh, he called me, he said, he loved it. He called me back a couple of days later and he said, I figured out why no one's ever done it. And I said, why is it? And he said, well, unlike music where if you own a radio station, you sign up for three services, ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC. And those are performing what they're called performance rights or performing rights societies. And they're the ones who track, you know, uh, songs that are played on the radio. And so they track them used to be, they would, they would, uh, randomly sample and then they would pay royalties based on that now they do it digitally but you literally um if, if let's say art you're a, a, a music writer a composer um you're you're probably signed up with ascap csac uh, ascap csac or bmi and they're collecting those radio royalties for you um or club royalties like when those songs get played in nightclubs and things like that uh, you'll see a, a license on the side of the, you know, the door or something that little tiny that says ASCAP or CSAC or BMI. You'll usually see all three. And what you do as a radio station or a performance hall or whatever, you pay a very, very small percentage of your gross revenue. And you pay that to them for the licensing fees. And then they in turn pay the writers and the, the writers and the publishers. 
So comedy was spoken word and it wasn't registered under those. So we figured there were about 10,000 comedy albums as of 1998. And uh, uh, we kind of figured, okay, what record label has them? And uh, Warner Brothers had the biggest chunk. They had almost 4,000, not quite 4,000, almost 4,000 comedy albums. They had, you know, going back to like Mom's Mabley back in the 40s or whatever, all the way up through Steve Martin and everything in between. Probably a lot of the Bill Cosby stuff, right? They they had the Cosby stuff. They had a bunch of that stuff. And then there was another label. uh, Well, I'll tell you what happened. So I went over to Andy Schoen. You guys are metal guys, right? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So Andy, I think, is part of metal. He was he was doing a business network with uh, uh, Steve Lehman and some of those guys. But Andy was a friend of mine, and this is going back in the late 90s. And he also started in radio. And he was just coincidentally president of Warner Brothers Records at the time. And great guy. And I called Andy, and I said, this is going to sound kind of crazy. I said, but I'm thinking about a 24-7 comedy radio network. Um you guys have got about 4,000 of the albums, pretty close, as best I can tell. Um, you guys are the biggest. And he said, come over to see me. So I went over to see him and sat down, told him what I was thinking. And Howard told me, he said, put your seatbelt on and just assume that you're going to have to pay five or, we have to figure out a way to pay five or $10 million, raise the money for us for those royalties. So hang on, hang uh, on one second. I'm sorry. So you exited your first radio company. You said there was a bunch no, of partners. No, no, no. That kept no. That kept up on. No, that was his gravy train for years, right? I mean, your gravy. Oh, yeah. That, that was up through 2015. Those 2015. Are the first ones we bought, last ones we sold. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. At, at what point yeah. do you get fuck you money? At what point in this journey uh, do you have f you money? Where you're like, dude, I can do whatever a, I want, but I want to continue this. Kind of along the way, you know, I accumulated it. After how many and, years? Uh, and I'm Biggest. not a big spender. Um, you started in 92. probably, yeah, probably after the move to LA and starting the comedy networks, that was when you build national value, you know, that's when that's- you build value, like real value. And, um, I mean, something that's, you know, but, but the anxiety of you not paying rent, not being able to buy food is completely not in your awareness as of 20 years ago. Like you just, you're always no, going to be, no. yeah, you're like, I'm, yeah. I'm a good guy. And the other thing I want to point out is, is without, we didn't go into the numbers, but. But that's not to say you don't get into pinches. I mean, you know, you know, you get into these deals where you, you know, you're, uh, you get your, get your back against the wall, but as long as you're personally, your back is not against the wall, you're fine. But you get into these deals with operators that are, you know, somewhat okay or whatever, and you got to dig out of, but no, it's never been like, you know. You may have to raise half a million dollars, but you're not going to not eat that day. Those are the kind of pinches. Yeah. But, you know, but you do, you know, you literally do. I think every entrepreneur hits that point every now and then where you're like, shit, you know, what do we do now? And, uh, you know, we've all had those and probably will have those. But um, but you reach a point at some point where you're comfortable and you don't worry. Those things don't make you sweat as much. Um, but like early, like early days, though, you get into businesses and you're like, like, I had a really shitty real estate investment one time. Really shitty. That was like, it was like, it was almost $5 million. The market turned down. The property was not where it should have been worth a lot more. We actually had a deal to, to buy the property, operate it for a year and turn it. The turn, those people didn't come through. Um, and uh, that was tough. That was like, holy shit, uh, consulting bankruptcy type lawyers. 
but didn't have to do it. But uh, that was tough. And that was like in like 90, 90, 90, 91, something like that. Kind of like a monopoly. You hit the divorce and all of a sudden you got to start over the game. Like that's what you have to avoid, right? Is those massive it is. losses. It is. That's what you got to do. And just protect your downside. But you know something I did? This is totally off topic. I'll get back to the, how we developed those radio networks in a minute. But um, back in 1994, I went uh, and I got my real estate broker's license because I was, you know, I was buying a lot of real estate. And um, I thought, well, I'll get my broker's license. My ex, my wife at the time uh, got her. She's still a wonderful broker, probably one of the best brokers in Missouri, um, in Kansas City. And uh, she went and got her. She said, you ought, to, you ought to just grab yours for the hell of it. And I said, yeah. So I went up to Springfield, Missouri, grabbed my, got my license, did the chorus, grabbed my license, full on broker's license. And I've kept that through the years. Now, I use it a lot, too. But I'll tell you what that's done for me that real estate broker's license has always been my safety net. So I know that if everything ever, if anything goes to hell in a handbasket, I can, I've always got that and I can make a great living with it. So when you have something like that, what did you know you can fall back on or, you know, uh, Bart, you, for instance, you're very entrepreneurial, but you're also the top handwriting expert in the world. And I don't think that's disputed. I think everyone knows that. And if your businesses went to hell in a handbasket, you can go right back to making very comfortable six or seven figures doing handwriting analysis and things like that. Exactly. So, you know, that's one of those things, uh, you know, if if you got budding entrepreneurs listening to this, that's one of those things, find something that, that, you know, you're really, really good at, keep it in your back pocket, uh, use it when you need to, but know that it's always there for you. Wow. And you, you've had a few home runs, but I've also know that, you know, you work for what, five or six years on the first intonate, incarnation of the radio, you know, 25 yeah. radio network. And um, it's not like someone came in and gave you $25 million for it. Right. I mean, it was one of those things. No. Like, is it serious? It was... Is it satellite? Like, how do we get out of this? Cause I spent five years building this. I think to our yeah. Steve Hostetter, he was working with you over there. Just great comedians all right. around LA. Right. And eventually we did get that huge money and all that stuff. But what's interesting is, you know, going back to when we started the network. So we had the licensing issue. We knew we had to figure out how to get the licenses. Thank God Andy Schoen was running uh, Warner Brothers. And and one, he loved comedy. Uh, and two, uh, they had, you know, 4,000 titles on their shelf that were getting no radio play. Record companies back then had to get airplay to sell records. And this is, you know, before the internet was, there was still the, the internet was there, but it was all dial up and all that stuff. And broadband was only about 5% of the country, I think, at that time. And so, you know, I said, here's the idea, blah, blah, blah. He goes, well, one thing I can tell you, he goes, we got all those titles back there. They're not getting airplay and they're not selling anything. So what do we need to do to sign up? And I'm like, well, what kind of licensing fee would you want? He goes, they're yours, exclusive, long form. Um, uh, just they're yours. And, but you don't, the only, I think the only caveat was, if we didn't start the network within two years, they, they reverted back, but we needed it something with exclusivity to keep the big guys out. Um, so we got that. And he said, by the way, you need to go down and talk to Richard Foos who owns Rhino records. Um, Richard Foos, Foos is the guy who now owns uh, shout factory. Um, so we went down and talked to Richard Foos who owned Rhino and they had about 3000 comedy albums. Rhino coincidentally, two years later sold out to Warner brothers. 
But we went down there, talked to them, and told them what we were doing with Warner. Andy had already made the call to those guys. Those guys said, yeah, we're in. And then uh, went to a couple of other labels. They were in some smaller labels, but you know, some that actually specialized in comedy. Everyone was excited about it. They were in, and we launched. And we raised uh, $10 million. And uh, we were, it's kind of funny. We were street when we were streaming live, and again, there was only five or five or ten percent of the country was on broadband at that time. We were streaming more live video than anybody else in the world at that time, if you can imagine. And we hired our comedy jocks were um, Ken Ober. Ken was a guy who was on MTV for years. Uh, Susan Olson, who was Cindy Brady and the Brady Bunch. Uh, we had Beth Lapidus. Uh, uh, gosh, I'm trying to all we had. We had a ton of like, you know, just amazing jocks who understood the comedy business. Um, Carrie Kasem obviously came, you know, was through there and worked wow. with Carrie. Still, still, you know, uh, worked she with like Carrie. The number She's one amazing. horse video. And have you seen this? She filmed herself riding a horse down to a beach recently, Kent. It has like I millions of I was on the radio with her a couple of weeks ago. It's uh, fantastic the, uh, PR. It's so great. And I'm like, oh, I hosted a show with her 20 years ago. And she still looks 25. Well, Amazing woman. Well, she's <laughs> awesome. I'll tell you what. She's one of the she's one of the smartest, most amazing, big. She has a, just a massive heart, but she's brilliant. You know, you know how it is like, Bart, we've seen, you know, where you have like fathers, you know, that make a great name for themselves and their kids are total fuck ups. This is just the opposite. Her dad was Casey Kasem and Carrie has every bit as much talent and charisma, even more charisma. I don't know. She's one of those amazing ones. And she never rode on her dad's coattail ever. She literally did it on her own and she's brilliant. He was, he was Arab. He was, was, was he Lebanese? I forget what he was. Lebanese. He was Lebanese. Lebanese. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Amazing guy with a golden voice. Yeah. Really, really exceptional guy. So here's a question for you. And I think we're, we're going to be, uh, we've got about five minutes before we have to wrap. And I want to get to where you're at now and for you to share a couple success secrets with our audience. But at the end of the day, going from, like you said, you know, you said you were, you know, kind of a, a, a country boy, uh, fairly, you know, you, you didn't have any extensive access to tons of money or, or, or great wealth, but you basically- At zero. You had zero. You built your. I had. Stuff had up. Lawn, I had. You know, what I did. I had lawn mowing money. That's, you had that's lawn mowing right. money. Okay. Lawn yeah, mowing but, and pool dance money. But it sounds like you had grit. You weren't afraid to, you know, go out there and work hard and bust your ass. And you know, it's it, it amazes me now when I look at kind of this generation. I don't know what you call them, but like Gen Z and like the younger kids, where they're much more expectant than we were in that generation, Generation X, and and the generation before that. Um, and they're, they're much more naive. Well, they're, they're very as well. needy. Well, they're very needy. They've probably been helicoptered by their parents. Um, you know, I, I have, I have two daughters. I have one that's 31 and, uh, uh, very entrepreneurial. I mean, Bart knows her, Ashley sharp as attack entrepreneurial. You talk about a hustler. I mean, Holy smokes, a hustler. I mean, just absolute, but you know, that was the last part of the generation that didn't have cell phones when they were kids. I mean, uh, smartphones when they were kids. So they were out hustling. They weren't sitting around all day, you know, whining about how many, you know, likes they didn't get on TikTok or Instagram yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it's a very different thing. And, you know, today's kids are more 
victim, they're raised not only by the school systems, but by a different, a lot of parents raise them to be more victim mentality people right. than they do, you know, hustlers and entrepreneurs. I grew up watching my dad uh, who ran this little tiny, very turned out to be the, the largest bank in you know, south of Springfield, Illinois, but at the time, very, very small bank because they were growing it. But I would watch him call these huge, I mean, like CEOs of huge companies and stuff. And I'm sitting there going, Jesus, you know, like, I, I thought it was normal. And so I had no fear in calling anybody. So, I mean, that's, wow. as, you know, that's how I wound, you know, wound up with a lot of these, you know, big relationships that I've got. And many I've had since I was a young, you know, young business guy, because I just didn't have any fear. I remember one time Lou Wasserman was running, uh, was, uh, you know, MCA Universal. He was the guy, you know, he was a big, big guy back then in Hollywood. The guy. The guy. And uh, I was uh, uh, selling songs for Lowry Music and managing my acts. And uh, uh, I told uh, Mr. Lowry I needed to go to L.A. I was going to meet with Lou. And said, Lou who? And I said, Lou Wasserman. He goes, what? He said, how do you get a hold of Lou Washman? I So I, I called him. I said, you were wanting to do this thing with Universal and you had these three songs you wanted to pitch. Yeah, I figured I'd call, you know, somebody and find. Anyway, I just happened to get a call through to him and the assistant let me let me into him uh, and I went to see him. And that's how we became friends. So wow. and, and, and Lowry, a, a music legend, is going, how the hell did you get a meeting there? Like, I just picked up the fucking phone. Yeah, that's what yeah, you on do. A personal note: I don't know anybody whose phone and Rolodex will get you to the top as much as Kent. Which leads me to one final question: Would you tell us about your romance with Phyllis Diller? You know what? If if you see me walking down the street, I will let you guys know all about that one. I will have to tell you about that one. Oh no! That was the <laughs> other ninety-two. No, I'm kidding. You. No. They've been dear she, friends forever, she, and I've I've jazzed you about this because so I've died to meet her. her. I wish I could have hung out with her. Uh, did you never go to her house with us? No, no, I feel uh, so bad. She's she, so bad. Uh, she was, she was the greatest, and she was great. And you know, it was kind of funny when my uh, now fourteen-year-old was born. Um, she was the first person to come over and bring a gift. That it was kind of funny. The first two people to stop by, uh, Phyllis Diller with a gift, this beautiful antique old Disney book of a story storybook uh, that was really old, and. Uh, the other one was uh, Rip Taylor, who, you know, just lived around from us up in the Hollywood Hills there. And Rip came with his confetti and the whole thing. The baby is here. The baby is here. <laughs> so that was that was one of those perks of, you know, being in the comedy network business because, you know, you got to meet a lot of those folks. And then, you know, they, they're just wonderful people. And those, those are the people you saw, you know, growing up on television. So that was kind of cool. Amazing. Amazing. So tell us what you're doing now and how people can find you. You bet. So, you know, I've noticed, uh, and Bart will tell you this, one thing, we, the places we've always done well in media is by identifying niches. And uh, by the way, I'm going to, I'll regress just for a second and go back to satellite radio, Sirius XM. Yeah, they used to be two different services. Now they're one, Sirius XM radio. Um, when I had started the radio uh, networks, I went up to them and met with them uh, individually because at the time they were different companies. XM was based in DC, Sirius based in, actually Sirius before they went on the air was actually a company called CD Radio. Then they changed the name to Sirius, but um, went and met with their CEOs and it took me a month to convince one of them that they needed to put comedy on their service when they launch. 
and I badgered them both. And finally, one said, okay, we'll give you one comedy channel. And then the other one said, well, if they're going to do comedy. I guess we will. Comedy wasn't something they were going to do. And it's interesting now that it's uh, become, you know, one of the biggest uh, things on Sirius XM there. And there's multiple channels, you know, there's six or seven, eight channels on the different services. So those are niche networks. I, I've always found that if you can find a niche that nobody else is doing, that's where you make the money and you stay, stay away from the competition. So right now there's a real void of news, like edgy news, news that you can go anywhere with not filtered, not watered down by advertisers making demands for, well, you better not talk about this or you better not talk about that. So we're doing a news network called Crave News, 100% digital on all the digital platforms uh, and absolutely real, raw, unfiltered and fun. So it's real news. Actually, the tagline is real news, no bullshit. And uh, we'll have a lot of fun doing it. It'll be live uh, eventually 16 hours a day. People can call in, FaceTime in, news at the top and bottom of the hour, and hot talk all the way around. So it'll be Fox News. Uh, if you took like a Fox News and MSNBC, uh, bred it with uh, Barstool Sports, something like that. So something very edgy and fun. Wow. Super and you can cancel yourself because you're the CEO. You know what? This is the no cancel network. You, you cannot get <laughs> – listen, I hung – you know – you know me. I, I I'm a George Carlin, Bob Saget fanatic. I, I'm that kind of I'm I'm that kind of humor and that kind of philosophical you know ilk. So uh, I would have been canceled years ago. Well, let's do let's do things a little differently. So to so to close it out, um, if you were George Carlin, what would you say? How would you close this interview out as George Carlin? Oh, I would probably tell some joke that would absolutely get you kicked off the internet. That's probably what I would do. <laughs> so, um, Crave News is a Crave on Facebook, Crave.tv. What's the what's the handle to get a hold of you and subscribe before it actually launches? I can't subscribe. When when we launch, we'll uh, we'll let you know. CraveNews.com is the uh, is the URL, and it's just got a holder site there for right now. And uh, when we get the studios finished here in Nashville, we'll launch and. We'll have some pretty decent fanfare, I think, when we launch, and we'll we'll be announcing our hosts. Some of those hosts you'll know, and a lot of the contributors you guys certainly will know, and uh, uh, it'll be a lot of fun. And it's one of those things too that I would love to have you guys on as regular guests, and it, because it's not going to be one of those where you have the typical talking heads that you see every single day on Fox News or CNN or MSNBC. It's going to be like on our business segments. It's going to be real, like accomplished business people like you guys. Sure. It's going to be accomplished business people talking business in politics. You know, I, I'm very well politically connected. Uh, it'll be, you know, people coming on governors and senators and Congress people and local politicians and letting their hair down and having fun, which by the way, they love to do. They don't get an opportunity though, in a three minute soundbite on Fox news or CNN. Yeah. Wow. So that this will be some place people can talk and have fun. Yeah. It'll be a good time. And it'll, you know, it'll be very, uh, uh, the, the graphics are very beautiful. They're very slick. Bart's seen those graphics. Um, and actually, we were, we were starting to roll some content before COVID hit. We were starting to do some. Bart came on and did a segment on Tiger King uh, that was fantastic. Um, but it'll, it'll, it'll feel, the, it'll be very authentic, kind of like Joe Rogan's podcast. You know, Joe's somebody I just love and I've known for years. It'll be that authenticity of a podcast, but a news network at the same time. I love that. I love that. And guys, 
Don't forget to check out Bart on season two of Tiger King. <laughs> we don't know how he got on there, but it's wild. He's going to be doing some crazy things. You can check that out at tigerking.com. Bart, if people really want to get a hold of you, how could they find you? This is the greatest setup ever. Uh, Bart Baggett on Instagram, Bart Baggett on Facebook. And if you want a copy of my latest book, just go to getbartsbook.com. Uh, Shaheen, you got a mastermind Amazon mastery course that they can sign up for. Yeah. Anybody that wants to learn how to create predictable recurring revenue on the Amazon platform by creating an Amazon company, guys, no better time than now. Amazon companies are going for crazy numbers right now. And there is no better time to get in right now. You know, when the real estate market just starts to get hot and you see people buying in, you're holding off, you're holding off and it's too late. Don't let it get too late. Reach out to us at fbasellercourse.com for little or no money. You can start an Amazon company and take advantage of this beautiful thing that our good friend Jeff Bezos has started. And also, I wanted to mention the book just dropped, Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult. If you guys are interested in my entrepreneurial journey about how I created a company, nearly broke a billion dollars in revenue pre-internet. Check that out. The first chapter is free on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are heard. And thank you for everybody watching us on YouTube and Facebook Live. And thank you very much to our absolutely amazing and inspiring guest, Kent. Um, Kent, thank you so much for being on, but hopefully we'll be able to get you on more to learn more about the, the super exciting stuff that you're doing and to share your entrepreneurial journey with our audience. Shaheen, it's my pleasure to be here. Bart, great to be here with you also. You guys are amazing and what you're doing is amazing. And, and the opportunities you give budding entrepreneurs, I think is just, it, that, that we need more of this in America. And I love what you guys are doing. Fantastic. All right. Okay, guys, have a great day and we'll see you soon. See you guys. Be safe. Have a good night. Be safe.